Welcome to the Women in Safety podcast. Do you have questions around how can you be recognized for your contributions and get ahead? Join our global WIS community, which provides a supportive space for women and our allies. Our discussions help break down barriers and support diversified leadership around the world. To subscribe and listen to our shows, visit safepedia.com. Now, here's our Women in Safety discussion. Hi, and welcome to another Women in Safety morning show. So I've got my co-host Donna here again, who's going to kick off another amazing conversation. Take it away, Donna. Thanks, Tamara. Uh, So welcome. Good morning. Good afternoon, wherever you're joining us from. So this is our Women in Safety morning show. And today we're talking about the role of leadership uh, and how they can help women, especially from a health and safety point of view. And Just to start, you probably know me by now, this is our fifth podcast. So my name's Donna. I've been in health and safety for about 22 years now, and I'm very passionate about supporting women safety professionals and how we can improve women's safety in the workplace. And I'm pleased that we're joined by Sonia this morning. So Sonia, over to you. Hi, I am Sonia Funk. I am a nutritional therapist turned employee wellness consultant. And so of course I have naturally found myself helping health and safety situations. And I really have a focus on the biology and physiology in a person's body in the context of safety and how health in an individual can impact in a company. Well, thank you. And thanks for joining us this morning. Sylvia, glad you're back. Happy to be back. Thank you. So I'm Sylvia Marusic. I'm an activational speaker on health and well-being, and have worked for about the last 20 years Uh, professionally speaking in the field of safety, especially, um, there's such a huge tie-in between stress and safety. And that's kind of my area of expertise. And I'm really excited to be back. Thank you. Glad you could join us. And we have Lorenzo with us again. Welcome. Thank you, Donna. Good morning, everybody. Good afternoon, wherever you're hearing this from. Um, I'm bringing up the rear as the male ally. Um, been working in safety and health for around 25 years. Um, my particular interest is in the safety of women workers, which is interesting given I now work in public transportation, which is a, a really masculine field and predominantly the employees are um, e- equally male, but that hasn't dimmed my interest in the safety of women workers. Really glad you could uh, have me back. Thanks for coming back today. And of course, we've got Tamara uh, working busily behind the scenes. <laughs> Tamara, did you want to introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. My name is Tamara Paris, and I'm the Community Developing uh, Director at Safepedia, and I'm glad that we're able to host this show. And thank you, Donna, for volunteering to do this. Oh, thanks. I'm glad you're with us. So, We've, we've done a couple of podcasts now. We've talked about how uh, women are disadvantaged by the mental load and the unpaid shift. We've talked about how stress particularly affects women and, and disadvantages them because they suffer more stress at work and they retain that stress for longer. We've talked about psychological trust. We've talked about safety laws and safety data. And in each podcast, we touch on leadership. So today I really want us to focus on the role of our leaders in organisations and how they can really start to drive some change that benefits women. So I guess my first question to you all is, do you think that leaders really understand what we mean when we say diversity in the workplace? Do you have a view? 
That's such a good question, Donna. It stunned all the panel members into <laughs> silence. I'm going to take the male prerogative and go last on the basis that as the male ally, I'll support you in whatever you say. Um, but it just shows what a complex question, very short, not, not very many words in it, but what a complex question that is. Because I think from my memory, this is the very first podcast where we had a two second silence. No, nobody stepped in. <laughs> you are right. So I'm going to be brave and I'm going to say probably not in answer to the question, do leaders really understand what diversity is? And I don't say that in any way to disrespect leaders, I'm just going to acknowledge that I do not fully understand exactly what diversity is. So, and all of its nuances and all of the contexts. I mean, we, we probably all understand a lot of the basics, but do we understand all of the nuances? I'm not sure that I do. And I know that leaders probably are in the same situation. I'm just gonna, put myself out there and say, I don't think so. I, I think that's a great response and I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> so Sylvia and I had a little pre-chat about this yesterday because we were doing something for a, a conference. And when I saw that question, my first response was, I don't even think I know what diversity is anymore. Right? Maybe in the 90s, I could have told you what diversity was because it started to become a thing. But I, I feel like it's gotten convoluted and complex and, and understandably, everyone wants a voice. And I think it's become too many voices and too diluted. And I think that's a disadvantage for leaders that have really good hearts and wanna figure this out. And they're afraid to actually dive into it because they're gonna offend somebody, right? If I could jump in here for a second, I agree with you. I think that a lot of leadership is struggling and um, I think what it really is about is, is belonging and inclusion. And one of the challenges that I, I uh, presented to one of my CEOs was to, to, because he was very proud that he had diversity, right? Um, and I said to him, when you look at your executive suite and then you look at your workforce, do they mirror each other? And to his horror, he realized that his whole executive team was made up predominantly of one demographic group. Wow. And so um, sometimes it's, it's, you know, having to be brave enough to, to have those uncomfortable conversations that, you know, diversity is, is I, I believe anyway, in my heart, is when you're looking around and you're seeing individuals of different paths of life, different cultures, different um, challenges even, like I'm learning disabled, right? Um, and so it, it's very interesting for me that um, a lot of times that those are hidden disabilities, somebody like with diabetes also. And these are, these are areas that we don't talk about, but we still have to have an understanding because if we're really going to include and accept people for whom they are, then we have to understand what that means and, and what do other people need from us as leaders in accommodation so that they can be their best and strive to be successful because everybody can be successful if they're supported. Yeah, amen. 
And then those people who are supported and being successful are in by definition more likely to be safe in their workplace and in their work behaviors because they have a sense of belonging, a sense of respect that goes two ways. So I, th I think somehow we need to get diversity into the safety agenda to influence our leaders, that, that diversity is actually important to the delivery of safety improvements. Um, and it becomes increasingly complex when you even move beyond um, Tamara's suggestion of hidden disability um, once we've got over the whole, hey, it's it, it's a white Anglo-Saxon C-suite, um, uh, and, and we're not just talking about um, the, the sex equality, but we're looking at or um, race equality, but we're looking at these hidden disabilities. We then move into the next level of complexity. We haven't even tackled the first one when we start thinking about um, transgender community, and bi biologically, and for all forever more biologically male or female at birth but adopt a different gender, even go through hormonal realignment and, and surgery to become the other gender, but actually they're still biologically male or female. Are, are we ready to protect men or women who have different biological function in a different gendered role without it offering insult to them? And I don't think we're even, we're even close. You know, I, yeah. I work for a big male-dominated um, organisation, public transportation. Um, if you look at us as a whole, we're about 50-50 male and female. But if you look at the driver population, it's about 90-10. And that's in the more progressive divisions of our business. Our C-suite is exactly, uh, after about a month now, is exactly 50-50 male and female, which is fantastic in public transportation. So yes. We, we might be just starting to think about the complexity of diversity. And I, I wonder, and it builds a little bit on Tamara's comment, do we just mean be kind? You know, do we just need to recognize that we're all different? I don't really understand that breadth of difference, but we are. So is, is be kind a, an acceptable language to deliver to the C-suite? Would you see leadership as being more rounded if we had that sort of respect for for workers uh, workers families uh, I, I i think you have to push beyond be kind because people can just be kind and fake it but um it, it's it goes towards authentically accepting and not judging you know, I, I i'm sad to say that i had a roommate who, um, who was transgender and the individual had to dress up as one gender to go to work and then be the gender that they felt comfortable in themselves in, in a hidden life, right? Yeah, in the 21st yeah. century, you know? Mm. Yeah, <clears throat> that's just wrong. Mm. I think I think you're right. I think it is about being authentic. I think there's an element of be kind, but it is bigger than that, isn't it? And we've talked previously about, you know, these gender neutral policies that we keep hearing. And there are so many nuances, like you said, Sylvia, and so many differences that leaders need to understand. We can't have this neutrality. We need to be sensitive to to all. Um, and, and again, just picking up on your point, Lorenzo, about the type of industry. So if we think about certain industries are quite masculine, so public transport definitely in the UK is quite a masculine industry. Healthcare probably is more feminine. Do, do we think that makes a difference to our leaders in their approach? Does the type of industry affect what goes on? 
you know what, Donna? Here's a really strange statistic from um, the UK healthcare system. So we, we have a, a nationalised social medicine system in the UK. And if you take the nursing population, traditionally a, a, a female dominated um, profession, 90% of nurses in the UK are female, 10% are male. If you look at leadership positions in nursing, 90% are male, 10% are female. Now, that's incredible um, flipping when you move into a leadership position. Male is still seen, even in a massively female-dominated role, um, function, as presumably, inverted commas, better. I don't necessarily mean better. But somehow they're getting into leadership roles in a totally disproportionate way. So I I think your theory is a good one. It probably does vary. A sector by sector based on the you know the, the the organizational culture the organizational sex how masculine or feminine it is but it doesn't work in nursing in the uk because mm-hmm. the, the men still get the leadership positions and i i find that truly fascinating yeah. one of the things that i think um should come into this conversation is uh sonia and i had this conversation yesterday too is just the concept of grace You know, I think there are a lot of leaders who want to understand, but because as we've discussed, this whole idea of diversity is so multi-layered and complex, they're going to get it wrong. Like there's just no two ways about it. They're going to get it wrong sometimes. And I think the fear of getting it wrong and being in trouble for getting it wrong often keeps people from doing really too much of anything. They stay with what is safe and familiar, right? And keep the stress down. And, um, you know, are, are just afraid. And I've heard this from people, not leaders, but I've heard it from people. You know, I'm afraid to say anything at work in case I say the wrong thing, because people are very sensitive right now. And especially with the extra stress that the pandemic has brought, people are kind of on their last nerve. So I think it's a really, it can be a very stressful time to be a leader. And if, if leaders could focus on, so I, I, you know, I like what you said about be kind. That's such a good starting point. Yes, it needs to go deeper, Lorenzo. But another aspect of that is grace. So when someone does make a mistake, and if someone's choosing to, to be referred to, you know, as they instead of by their name or instead of she or he, if I make a mistake and I, and I say your name, can we just have a little love about that and recognize that it was just a mistake? It's, it d- doesn't mean anything deeper than that. I'm not disrespecting your diversity. I, I, I'm not trying to, I don't have a hidden agenda. I just had a goof. So I, think, I, I feel we like should. we need to bring that into the culture. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think we should. And I think we are scared of doing that. Um, and I think we've grown up in the last 15, 20 years where, um, you know, n- neutrality is a good thing. Well, actually, sensitivity is a better thing. And yes. just just because you I, I treat Sylvia this way and her co-worker Donna, I treat that way isn't a wrong thing. It's because the individual circumstances of Sylvia or Donna are different. Uh, I haven't disadvantaged either. I've responded to their individual contractual needs and, and I've, I've, I've just given them a more flexible, a more understanding, a more inclusive response. It doesn't have to be the same 
you are not going to tie yourselves in up, up in knots by having different responses to different people at different times in different situations and, and i'm not accidentally using the word different so many times we need to embrace difference it's okay right i i really think the thing that has really inhibited the progress of this that we all see it's, it's very clear like the kindness the grace underneath it and the authenticity that we're looking for it is the fear of the very real outrage that is everywhere if you mess up and then if you flip it around and you're really looking for the authenticity because this is where where I, I do my personal boundary workshops with leadership teams it's understanding all the different parts of yourself and accepting them that change the body resonance that you have there in the office that you are communicating without words that covers a lot of mistakes if you have that and it's it's a cliche unfortunately but we kind of need to redeem the the cliche if you have that self-love and acceptance you come across as curious you come across as oh i'm so sorry that was the wrong word and and everyone forgives you because you have that thing and all the rest of the week they made a mistake or a thing happened and you didn't give them a hard time about it of like oh they messed up so it's just it's it looks difficult but i feel like it's just this little thin veil of getting past the outrage that's everywhere because everyone's mad about everything right now mm. it is what it is and looking in the mirror and doing this work here you come across differently it with saying the same sentence as someone that doesn't like themselves and someone that's okay with themselves and making a mistake people read that differently yeah. most yeah. of the time you're never going to get everybody. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I guess it's, it's hard because culturally, you know, we, we're not good at admitting that we're wrong. We're not great at making mistakes. And if you overlay that in the workplace scenario, leaders don't want errors. They don't want things to go wrong. They don't want to make mistakes. They don't like bad news. So it's almost like we've become uh, a society that just wants to always do the right thing, always do the good thing. And actually mistakes are our opportunity to learn exactly like you've, you know, you've all just said. Um, we need to embrace that, that learning journey, I think. Yeah. yeah. So I guess moving on from a, from a safety point of view, um, we have a, a sort of lack of women in safety leadership positions generally. Uh, they, they really are underrepresented as uh, professionals but especially at leadership roles do you think that makes a difference then in the in the disadvantages that women face in the workplace so do you think the lack of safety professionals and lack of safety leadership professionals is is affecting this I think absolutely <laughs> I mean women in leadership will be more aware of what women in safety need Right. We talked, we've talked about the size of uniforms, for example, or the way they're cut. We've talked, you know, I just was in, was in a manufacturing company touring um, an addition, uh, an expansion to one of the, the manufacturing companies that I work in, that I do consulting in. And they gave me a vest that I could have fit four of me in. And it was so the wrong color to go with my skin tone, I might also add. <laughs> <laughs> really clashed with what I was wearing but I just I just looked at the plant manager and I said this is it this is the best you got and he said I'm sorry you know and the hard hat 
I mean, as much as I adjusted it, apparently I have a pretty small head. I still had to kind of make sure that it was always adjusted properly because it kept slipping. So it's things like that, that women, you know, and I mentioned it to, to actually the woman who does a lot of the ordering. And I said to her, you know, is there any way we could get some smaller vests around here? I know that I'm probably one of the only female contractors that come in here, but this feels like a safety risk. Like I need a belt. So I think women in safety leadership will be more sensitive to, to those kinds of things for sure. But the other thing is, is it's, it's just such a beautiful balance in the C-suite to have the female and male perspective together because both are so incredibly valuable. Hmm. You know, we really do need both. And I, I, I'm going to actually kind of push the envelope on this because I, I think it's more to do with a, a, a feminine masculine leadership style because mm-hmm. I've, I've met women who are just like, throw something at you and this should be okay, even though it's like way too big for the person. And, and they didn't care, you know? Right. And, and the way I look at it, clothing in safety is that has to do more with what manufacturers are creating and health and safety uh, managers, whoever is doing the purchasing can actually access. Because mm-hmm. I, I know with, with, my, with who I've been working with and, and, and many people even know Malcolm Staves, you know, that's an example of a health and safety global leader who is very mindful about what everybody in his team needs, be the women or men. And, and we were talking one, and you know, sometimes you just can't get things because manufacturers aren't making them. So right. I would say we need to push on those manufacturers to be making clothing that fit a diversity of body styles, because there's also a lot of gentlemen who have to wear unsafe over big um, hangy kind of um, PPE and workwear also, right? So I would like to like elevate the conversation to that, that uh, we need to be advocating more. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty, Tamara, of having this discussion, because it starts with, hey, the sizes aren't small enough for our petite women. Well, you know what? They're not small enough for your petite men. Mm. Right. And, and, and now everybody it ha- has enhanced protection because they're more likely to wear their hard hat or their hard hat is more likely to stay on or they're less likely to get their um, clothing trapped in a piece of machinery. And everybody has benefited. And that, that goes 100% to Sylvia's point about both the, the masculine and the feminine uh, opinion is important. doesn't matter w- what sexed person that comes from. So the high feminine trait uh, caring Malcolm in L'Oreal because he has a disproportionate number of female safety professionals. He, he, I think it was a natural fit to his role, but he has learned to be more understanding of the needs of women safety professionals because he has to be more understanding of those needs. Uh, and I think we, we just need to recognize in maybe our recruitment strategies that just having women sexed safety workers, uh, safety professionals, doesn't necessarily increase the amount of feminine trait you've got in your team. So maybe there's something around some kind of psychometric testing and establishing that balance, because without the balance, we're just not going to get a a rounded view and a rounded approach to improving safety. It doesn't matter what worker you're protecting. 
because yeah, you true. you want to protect everyone, huh? Sorry, Sonia, I cut you off. No, I, I think I cut you off, but I didn't know I was. <laughs> I, I think it comes down to what you were all saying. And I always look at leadership in a masculine feminine balance as far as quality and, and the energy of it. And I look at it in when it comes to safety, I speak of it a little bit in a parenting style. Are you more of a mom? Are you more of a dad? Are you the dad pushing the kid on the bike without the training wheels? Are you the mom that has this intuitive cause and effect seeing the accident at the end? The feminine perspective is better at that. Some biological men have more of a feminine side. Some women have more of a masculine side. So I think you're, yeah, you're looking at balancing the energies because you need the mom. You need the mama bear because they just see things differently and they look further ahead. And you need the balance of the masculine that's like, don't coddle them too much, but this thing could happen. And when you have that balance and both sides recognize that there's a balance, you create more safety for everybody, men and women, because the mama energy is going to see stuff with the men that the more masculine leader isn't going to see. So I, I think that's it. And it's less offensive to everyone if you talk about it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. No, so, it's an important point. Sorry, go ahead. Donna, I was just going to say, I don't know we can necessarily leave this part of the um, morning show without mentioning Cheryl Sandberg, um, the, the, the COO of Facebook. Um, fantastic. Well, first of all, fantastic TED Talk, but um, a fantastic book called Lean In uh, about women leaders. And um, one of Cheryl's anecdotes is she was pregnant, worked at Facebook, and she parked in the parking lot and had to walk heavily pregnant, whatever, a, a few hundred yards to get into the building and found that she was exhausted when she got there. Well, that, that has direct safety implications mm. because she's the chief operating officer. She spoke to Mark Zuckerberg. By the afternoon, there were spaces at the front of the building for pregnant workers, and there have been spaces at the front of the building ever since. But it took the chief operating officer to experience heavy pregnancy for that risk to become apparent in at Facebook. So it, somehow we need to get this to translate further down the chain into much more operational um, understanding of, of feminine leadership, irrespective of your biological sex. Yeah. And, and I think that is probably where our challenge is going to be the, the biggest. Um, you know, health and safety is a, is a very masculine mm. profession. Um, you know, I think in, in the UK, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a UK based guy, so I only have these examples. And, and Donna, I know you know the real statistics, but in, in the professional um, association, I, IOSH, they have two grades of membership, member and, and fellow. Uh, ignore the fact that they use the word fellow for the higher grade of membership just for a moment, but hey ho. Um, <laughs> and the, the, the number of female fellows is something ridiculous like 1% or less than 1%. Less than 1%. How, how is that possible? In, in, a, in a gender neutral, inverted commas, fair process. I just find that really, really bizarre. So we've got a long way in safety leadership to, to go um, yeah. it, before we even reach out of the profession and get into um, the, the, the lay leadership in, in the, in the C-suite. I want to hop on to something you said there, um, Lorenzo. You said that it, it, it took the, the CEO of, of Facebook to be able to get this parking spot, surely to goodness there were other, you know, late term pregnant women working for that organization 
before it took her to ask. So that kind of leads me into, and I, you know, I don't know if I, if, if anybody wants the conversation to go this way, but you know, if you're somebody that needs or wants some difference in inclusion or um, accommodation, it is so important to have the courage to speak up and say, can we look at this? Or, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm not being included here. And it's, it's really, really difficult. There's no question about that. And leadership can invite, you know, hopping onto what Sonia was saying about the energy can create a space, a safe space energetically where people feel like they can come forward and ask for help or ask for accommodation or say, hey, you know, at the meetings, every time I try to speak up, people don't listen to me. People don't give me a chance to speak. Well, why is that? Is there an accommodation that's required? Is that I don't know what the scenario would be, but, but I feel like we, you know, as much as we're um, asking leadership to, to be aware of diversity, we also need to speak up for ourselves and not leave it all to the leaders to imagine what it is that we need. They don't read minds. And Sylvia, I want to build on what you're saying. And and this is really somewhere where Sonia and yourself can really kind of share your knowledge with us is that women physiologically do have different needs than men. For example, one discussion that we never have is menopause. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not until you go through menopause that you actually realize how much havoc it wreaks on the body. And so, you know, what about accommodation for those different type of needs also that I'm, I'm sorry, Lorenzo, I don't believe men go through it in this quite the same way or maybe I'm wrong maybe Sonia and Sylvia can speak to that a little bit yeah I, I, Sonia why don't you go ahead it's forming a thought there and then it left my brain but I'm sure, <laughs> but I'm sure I can do this I um I, I'm going to say something along the lines of, of what you, you were talking about there tomorrow what what I see is um, it, it does feel a little bit strange that two very biologically different humans that are that do work differently, that have different physiologies and different processing, different metabolism, that they actually do some of the exact same jobs and the exact same performance is expected. That would be like putting men and women in the same event in the Olympics. So on, from a physiological level, um, there's um, just some imbalance there. I think as far as expectations and that can create poorer health for women just automatically that's not a problem we can solve today but it's part of the concept and what i I find is because women are very feminine women are more intuitive they're more in you know touch with their feelings they'll feel them more they tend to when because i always look at timelines in my office and when i go in and analyze a whole company it's male and female average ages. And then I draw out the timelines based on the benefit usage, just to give you some insight into what I do. A woman will complain more because she's more aware and she'll go through this process, this stage, and then this stage, and then this med, and then this stage, and then this med. The men suck it up. If they're very masculine, you know, that's the traditional role. We're trying to undo that and hold it in, feel it all. And then they explode with a heart attack 
or, you know, what, whatever it is, they're more likely to hold it in and then have this big thing later that costs really as much at that time as the expense of the ill health of that woman over the 15 years. So I think just to bring, like Tamara said, some of that physiology in, which is kind of my, my specialty, to understand, that really speaks to the more masculine leaders because there's some logic there, because mm -hmm. there's some biology there. You can't argue with, well, people are arguing about biology <laughs> right now, but you can't really. <laughs> so I, I, hope, I hope that's helpful. It didn't do the menopause, but it's like the same idea, right? And I'm gonna actually take one moment to self-correct here because I Googled it and men do have a menopause. So I'm wrong. I just learned something that <laughs> it's called andropause. Yeah. So maybe you got, we can also kind of throw that into the mix. So we educate people because I was ignorant until I Googled it. So I think even, even, even though, um, just touching on that, even though menopause really is a, an issue for women, it, it's a growing risk in workplaces at the moment because that, that proportion of women that are menopausal make up a significant amount of, of the workforce but if you think about the men who have got menopausal partners you know if they're if their partners are not sleeping well at night or things like that and they're having a rough night's sleep that tiredness is also going to impact them at work as well so again yes it is a, a risk for women it is something that safety professionals and HR professionals need to consider but we need to not forget our male colleagues as well and any impact they have as a result of menopausal partners. Absolutely. And when you think of the risk just from lack of sleep alone, yeah. Yeah. right? And then add shift work because people who do shift work are, are already struggling with their sleep. So you've got a menopausal woman who is doing shift work or a menopausal partner to a man who is doing shift work or another woman that's doing shift work. That, that has an impact on both for sure. Sometimes I think we get um, scared off by the word accommodation because accommodation has a legal context to it as well. And it suggests effort and work. And so it would be really great to see cultures shift from, okay, I've got to accommodate this person. I've got to accommodate that person to just saying, can we just all get what we need and ask for what we need? So the menopausal woman, now this is really hard on a production line, but a menopausal woman in the office might need to step outside every hour because she's dying of heat, right? So she, that might, that, that does not have to be an accommodation. That can just be a thing. Like you need to step outside, step outside. It's different in a, on a production line. I get that. But sometimes the word accommodation is the thing that makes everybody go, oh, what else do I have to accommodate? So maybe when we have both the masculine and feminine in the C-suite, those kinds of things don't need to be seen as accommodations, but just part of life. When somebody's tired, you know, can, can they take their break and have a safe, quiet space to go to just close their eyes for a few minutes? And does it have to be an accommodation or can it just be, yeah, just go do it. Yeah, We've got a space for you. So I, I just wanted to things. throw that into the mix. I, I think oh, you're absolutely right. 
and if if you start to badge it as a reasonable accommodation that you're making in a formal way well then actually this is a disability we're talking about and I, I didn't want to pick that la label up I just wanted the opportunity to go outside and cool off for 30 seconds or, or a minute <laughs> exactly we, we never have this issue with smokers so a no. smoker needs to go outside to have to have a cigarette no they don't ask their line manager uh, they just fit it around their working day and they could do that 10, 12, 15 times in, in a working shift. Yes, no, even no, on a production line that happens. Yeah, exactly. And nobody even notices. So so why yeah. can't I have a menopausal smoking break? Why, why can't I have a, I didn't sleep very well last night. I need to go and get some fresh air smoking break. Right. How come it's permitted for smokers because they're addicted to nicotine. Well, you know what? I'm addicted to cream cakes. So why can't I go and have a cream cake break? But the, the, the management reaction to that is, are you crazy? What are you talking about? But you don't right. even notice the smoker who does it. It's so far below a formal accommodation. It's just the way we do things around here. And that's where we need to move to. Um, and when that culture exists, it actually takes some of the burden off the leader to have to know absolutely every nuance about diversity and inclusion because it is just a cultural expectation that whatever you need, we will try to make that happen in the context of keeping our business running, keeping the production line running, keeping workers safe, right? Because safety is, is affected. If I decide to go out for a smoke break, and I leave my line short, well, maybe there's a safety implication. But if we had this different view of it, nobody has to read chapter and verse on every nuance that there is to know, like people with brown hair have to be treated this way and people with blue eyes need to be treated this way. And I'm, I don't mean to, you know, make it so, um, so silly. I'm not trying to make it silly. I'm just trying to use a very simple example like diversity and inclusion is not silly. It's really important. Um, but we don't have, the burden is, is less on leaders if we create that kind of culture where everything that people need is accommodated to the best of our ability and people can be self-responsible for saying, I just need to go outside for a minute. I'm having a three minute hot flash and I can't even think straight right now. That should be okay. There's, there's something I don't want you guys to miss that just happened here. So we're talking about the smoke break and the other people that can't. That relief and that break and that excuse that the smoking gives to them attaches them to their addiction and costs you more money even if they want to quit. And the other thing that I, I don't want you guys to miss here either is when you open up conversations like this that are curious, no one's triggered, we're talking masculine, feminine balance and energies, and you start to open up the conversation like about menopause, like Tamara did. And what can we do about that so that there's more safety and so that these things aren't so much of an issue? Suddenly, we open up the fact that there's a man's menopause because when you free women to be who they are and it's okay, there is an automatic transfer of a healthier perspective on the masculine, always. Yeah. And does that work the other way around? <laughs> Probably not. Well, not, yeah. not as much because they, you know, they're so far in the perception of they're in charge and it's all that kind of stuff. But when you can logically and unoffensively educate them on when you allow this property and this energy and this balance into your company, it makes your life better. Yeah. The ones that are more masculine. Yeah. 
And to build on this, you know, we talk a lot about uh, wellness and mental health. Well, isn't this a way of building our culture of care to help people self-help themselves to keep their mental health in, like at a maximum? Totally. If you feel like you constantly have to not show everyone all the things going on in your life and all of those things, you're in a bit of a state of alarm. You are a little bit disconnected from your rational brain. How's that safe? Yes, absolutely right. And you, you know, I, really, I should have started to take some notes to make this next sentence far more informed. But I think in, in this 20 minute discussion so far, we've covered elements of every single one of the other morning shows. Yeah. We've had some stuff about psychological safety, you know, tr trust and voice and, and feeling eligible, to, sorry, able to um, make a comment about an, a, an unsatisfied need. Um, we, we, we've talked about each and every element. We've just talked about stress and mental health and well-being and the impact that it has there. Um, Sonia has very eloquently talked about biology, and, and we saw that in some of the safety data, uh, female safety data in the podcast, unfortunately, I, I missed. So maybe, just maybe, better leadership, more sensitive leadership is actually the key to every single one of the elements, Donna, that you, you've had us discuss in previous podcasts. Um, yeah. So maybe... Maybe that's where we need to focus is, is on this better, more rounded, balanced safety leadership. And then the other things will follow. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what you think. I totally agree. And, and really, that's why I wanted to talk about leadership after we talked about the other things, because I think it is so important. Leaders really are the key to making work more sustainable. They're the ones that can reset the norms around what's considered flexible. And, and I think we need that flexibility in the workplace, which supports the diversity agenda. Um, just my view, but I agree. And so often, you know, and I say this, I think every podcast, so often the things that we talk about appear mm -hmm. as if this is going to be an additional burden on the leaders. Yes. It's actually going to simplify and change everything. Sonia just said this, it changes everything for the better as a leader when you understand and incorporate this view, these views into your culture. If you have a strong, healthy, safe culture, your work is less. <clears throat> the burden of responsibility on you is less. So what we're not saying is you need to do more education. You need to work harder at this. You need, we're just saying Understanding all of these, all of these moving parts and all of these components and how they influence the safety and well-being and ultimately the bottom line of your business mm. is actually going to make everything better and easier for you. Yeah. And, and I, I think to, to uh, build on what you're saying, Sylvia, too, like some people may be thinking like, well, so what am I supposed to do? Right. What are my action steps? Yes. And, you know, one really great thing is being quiet and listening. And if, if you look around the room and only a few key people are always talking and then there's a group of people who are always silent, that should kind of resonate with you about changing up the style of the meeting to try to encourage other people to feel safe, to speak out. And mm -hmm. as one um, 
trick that I was taught was the 30 second rule is when you're leading something, be quiet for 30 seconds and create room, create opportunity for others to come into the conversation. Yeah. And I think we can, the, the male allies here can build on that. Um, and quite often, um, a, 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 a female contributor around the table just might stall as they start to make a contribution. Well, the male ally needs to back them up. Cha um, challenge isn't the right word, but, you know, um, I'd really like to hear what you wanted to say about that, Tamara. I think you started a sentence there. Let's everybody else be quiet. You know, th there needs to be some championing um, okay. that, that allows the female leader to come to the fore. Yeah. Yeah. And you can have strategies like it's a round table. We start with you and go around the table. So everybody, the expectation is that everybody has a voice at the table every single meeting. There's all kinds of small action steps that you can take to make sure that people have their voice or at least you've, you've given them the opportunity. If they pass, they pass. But I love what you said about being quiet and listening, because the only way, and Sonia, you talked about this, being curious, the only way you really understand what's going on for your employees is to ask them, ask them and then listen, you know, with intent to understand, not to respond, but with the intent to understand. That's a really different style of listening. And just assuming that they probably have some information that could make your job easier. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely right. But I think as well, the leaders, you know, of, of businesses, they, they need to demonstrate that they're going to do something if somebody does approach them, especially when we think about women's safety issues. If, if women are brave enough to speak up um, and, and say there's a problem, they need to see actions taken because in a lot of cases, nothing gets done and that just sends the wrong message out to the workforce and then you find that women aren't speaking up anymore because nothing happens as a result so yes we need to encourage people to talk more and to speak up and to say what the, the issues are but we need to get some actions and we need to get things done to encourage more women to to do the same and i think some oh sorry go ahead tamara um you know i i'm just remembering one really good leader that i had that was phenomenal at this lino and one of his styles was um, he would use phrases like, um, oh, so-and-so, we haven't heard much from you today. Did you have anything you were thinking about that you wanted to share? You know, nice. or if he, mm. he, the quieter people, he might talk to them sometimes in the hallway or later. And then in the next, and, and let them know that in the next meeting, he was going to bring, bring something up and then say to the person, you know, Sonia, uh, last week we were having a chat about some things and you brought some really good points to me. Can you share them with the group? Mm. Right? So, so creating um, communication style that is bringing in those people who are more introverted. And another thing that he did, what I thought was so, so smart is he, he actually gave up his position of leadership and passed it around the room so that different people would chair a meeting, right? Putting everybody into that position of having to kind of have a little bit of something that they had to talk about with purpose. And then, so that even made people a little bit more comfortable 
with speaking up in a group because his point was, as a leader was that he has to understand where everybody is at and then what tool does he need as a leader to bring them into the fold where they're now comfortable. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of leaders miss that. They think that mm -hmm. leadership is sitting there nonsensically talking at nauseum for everybody to just say, why am I in this meeting? Why didn't you just write me an email? And that's not what lead, I think you have to relook at what does leadership mean? Mm -hmm. Why are you a leader? Yeah. Really, really good points. I want to share something that um, it was an experience I had last January working with a, a large North American based company. And I was working at one of their manufacturing facilities in Texas. And, you know, Sonia, one of the things that Sonia and I do is we do an analysis and strategy session with companies. She looks at the data and she looks at benefits usage. I talk to the people. And one of the things that came out of this, I think it was such a good message, is such a good message for leaders. I spent, I don't know, probably 10 hours on the manufacturing floor talking to employees about what their view was based on the presentation I had done in the morning, what their view was of what we could do to make this workplace happier, healthier, and safer for everyone. And I distilled those things down into things. Do you know that every single group of people I spoke to, and I spoke to people often in, in twos or threes, brought up that they wanted the management to show up on the, on the shop floor with no agenda, but just to talk to them. All they wanted was for someone to know their name from management, and they wanted to talk to them. And so when I brought this back, you know, I distilled all this information into themes, brought this back to the leadership team. And we had this little strategic planning session. And when I put that out there, the entire table was nonstop chatter. They were all saying the same thing that I bet a bunch of leaders listening are thinking. And that is like, seriously, I do not have time for that. I don't have time for chit chat. And this is part of the reason that leaders don't take the time to ask these questions sometimes or wait and quietly listen for the answer because I got 72 emails in my inbox in the last hour. I have this fire to put out and I have this thing to do. And really, I do not have time to hear about all of my employees' grandchildren and their hockey tournaments and whatever else. So as this went around the table and everybody was quite emotional about that request, this, the um, CEO looks at me and he says, you're awfully quiet. I bet you have a solution. And I said, yes, I do, actually. And what I asked them to do, and maybe this is helpful for the leaders out there, is to go onto that factory floor with no agenda, no clipboard, make eye contact, because when they go down, they go down with an agenda, head down, they admitted this, head down, and they just go and do deal with the problem. So I said, don't take, don't take a pen, nothing, just go down and talk to people. And if they have something that is a concern that they've raised, ask them to write it down for you, so that they know that their words are actually going to be in your pocket on the paper. And 
And how do we go down and do this? Each leader of each department takes one hour, they put it into their calendar and they take one hour. So it's there was five departments, five leaders, every five weeks, the CEO gets his turn. It's one hour out of your life. It make it it has completely transformed everything for that leader. I'm still in touch with them all the time. Everything's changed there. It's been magic. And it's an hour every five weeks just to listen to your employees and say, I'm down here because I care about you and I want to know what's going on in your life. Leaders, we're trying to help you. We're not trying to make things more difficult for you. The solutions are often so simple. Sonia and I do this and we know that the solutions are often things that you can't see because you're in the middle of the forest. 100%. And it's the same in safety. You know, we, we encourage our leaders to do safety leadership tours for the same reason. Go, yeah. go and find out what's going on and go and speak to people. Absolutely. Yeah, leave the technical things to your safety yeah. professionals. Go, go and talk and understand. Um, yeah, I know there's this process and this training and that policy, but actually, how is it on the ground? Mm. What are the shortcuts that your people are taking that your safety professional never sees because everybody behaves when he comes down onto the shop floor? Um, right. But when the, the CEO is down there and she is having a conversation with you, um, you that is your one opportunity, that, that one expression of trust to be able to share bypassing all of the line management confusion that comes in in, in um, safety observations that are made um, I, I can only believe that would pay real dividends mm. and like Sylvia says what one hour out of a five-week schedule yeah and I think also to build on that is share the positive mm. you know there's yes. so much like oh let's find out what's all wrong and that just turns employees off because they're not mm -hmm. coming to work to be berated like children, you know, um, maybe somebody just doesn't really know something. And so they they're doing it a certain way because they've seen somebody else do it or better yet, maybe the individuals who made the policies and procedures don't actually know how the work's actually done. Mm -hmm. So yeah. the policies and procedures that you're trying to cram down people who are actually been doing the job for 40 years, they're looking at this going, mm, yeah, this person doesn't know what they're doing, right? But when you open dialogue and you open conversations that are like, you say to somebody, wow, that was really awesome. Thank you for taking the time to do that. They're going to be then coming back at you and trusting to have conversations. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was doing my work, the, the, the biggest indicator, key indicator that we had reached a safety maturity curve was when I was listening and overhearing employees actually having discussions about planning out work, hmm. identifying their own risks, identifying how they might be able to solve it, and then hearing them say, okay, so we need, I think we need this or that or something else. Let's go talk to Tamara and see if she can get that for us. So it wasn't me as the safety person nitpicking and saying, oh, you know, we've got a policy because to be quite candid with people, legislation and policy is the bare minimum. Hmm. You need yes. people to be elevating using their adult brains at work and coming up with solutions because then they're going to make it part of the process when they're training people, yeah. right? 
I think you're right. And I think what we need to do is build in um, to, to our leadership style some of the psychological principles that underpin behavioural safety. And let's yes. go out and start catching our people doing things right, yeah. give, giving them praise and recognition for doing things right. Because mm -hmm. it, it's almost universal that managers and leaders go and catch you doing something wrong. And we have all the processes and procedures in the world to offer you a sanction, a discipline, or maybe even terminate your, your employment because we caught you doing something wrong. How many times had that person done something right and we'd never gave them any praise or recognition? And That's very feminine. And well, there yes. you are. <laughs> <laughs> Um, exactly. <laughs> and you, you, and I, don't, I don't mean to equate employees with with dogs, but that's at the core of training a dog, mm. because the, the psychological principle is exactly the same. Give reward for good behavior and good behavior is likely to be repeated. Repeated good behavior becomes a habit. And hey, it's the way we do things around here. So when Tamara's example was, well, I saw somebody else do it. So I do the same shortcut. Actually, I saw somebody else doing something right. And I will learn from what I mm. witnessed and I will do something right and it becomes eventually a self-fulfilling prophecy so to, to the leaders out there irrespective of your position in the organization because we've we've referenced c-suite quite a lot in this podcast but actually there are leaders at all levels mm. in an organization go out there and catch people doing something right that that is sincere you know if you have to wear a hard hat for your job don't give people praise for wearing a hard hat because that's just an expectation but if you catch them doing something right give them praise there and then and that instant positive feedback is more likely to get that behavior to be repeated and if you could do just that in your one hour every five weeks you're on a winner you are absolutely on a winner to transfer transform your organization you know lorenzo research shows that for every bit of constructive criticism or negative comments you give to an employee as a supervisor or leader, you actually have to give them three positives. Yeah. Not right at that moment, but you have to give them three positives to help wipe out the memory of the negative. And so some people go, oh yeah, well, I know how to do that. I use the sandwich method. <laughs> I stroke them first. And then I deliver the punch and then I stroke them again. <laughs> People, don't do that. Don't do it. They can smell a sandwich a mile away. It smells like rotten baloney. They know what you're doing. But if you have to deliver some constructive criticism to an employee, the next three times you see that employee, and you can write this down and tick off the boxes. I've done it three times. It's that simple. Hmm. Give them some praise and recognition for what you, and, and really do not make it the day after you've delivered the negative, yeah. right? Like make it authentically, genuinely random, but make sure you do it because they will, all of us know this, we will hang on to that negative comment yeah, for a really absolutely. long time, right? And it's not, I know many leaders right now are thinking, and I've actually heard this, seriously, can people just grow up? If they're not doing a good job, I need to tell them. Listen, we wish that we all had the ability to take negative criticism or negative comments, negative criticism is redundant, negative comments and just let it roll off and we'd be okay. That's just not the way it is, sorry. So you have to make that extra little bit of effort yeah, it would be nice if we could all be bulletproof, but we're not. 
We've all had trauma. We've all had things happen to us in our lives. The more you understand your people, the more you create psychological safety and trust for them, the more you help them by not triggering their stress response, the better everybody is. Absolutely. And, and that's really well said and a great way to end our show. We've come up to time now. I could carry on talking about this forever. And I think the comments that we've had today have been great. Um, but thank you all so much for the discussion today. Uh, there will be comments on LinkedIn. I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to get to them all. Um, but keep, let's keep the discussion going. Let's keep everything talking on LinkedIn. Tamara, anything final from you? Yeah, let's, we have a few minutes. Oh, do we have a few minutes? Good. Yeah, share a little bit of what's on LinkedIn. Um, and thank you everybody who on LinkedIn for taking your time out early in the morning to join us. Mm. I know for some of you, if you're in the Pacific Coast, it's really early in the morning. So thank you for hopping on with us. So we have Augusto who says, lucky here in Argentina, uh, inclusion and diversity is a field that has been gaining a lot of importance. I work on an insurance company as a risk um, analysis, and I can see that there are many important charges. Um, maybe they meant changes. Um, Oscar says, sometimes culture, cultural diversity becomes a big challenge, especially in situations where it comes to managing women visitors who come on site whose traditions cannot allow them to wear trousers as opposed to their traditional attires. Um, oh, good morning. I have a question, Tamara. Do you know any particular case of companies who are working on this? I mean, companies who have hired or offered their employees education about inclusion. And I see this as an issue that starts with childhood and we should be re-educated again to talk about this thing. We should come back to that. Maybe somebody, people can hop online and help answer mm. that uh, for Augusto. Um, and I'll just read one, one or two more, one more. Sylvia made a comment, this is from Bram. Sylvia made a comment about communication and the need for it, engaging with sincerity, listening, record concerns and actually deal with it and give feedback. Amazing personal experience in many parts of the world where, where engagement and conversation brings such a powerful change. Thank you. Oh, nice. Some good comments. Great comment. Thank you. To, to answer one of them very quickly, um, uh, work around menopause, um, Rolls-Royce, you know, the engine manufacturer, um, they've done some amazing work. Google Rolls-Royce, who, whoever was making inquiries about, do we know of, of any really good practical examples? It is limited to, to menopause, but um, I'd, I'd definitely look them up. I think L'Oreal is probably doing a lot of work too. Malcolm Staves mm. is somebody to reach out to. Yeah. He does a lot of phenomenal work. Anybody else? If I could comment on the comment about the, the childhood stuff, which kind of plays off of what Sylvia said before, one of the talks that I have in the analysis and strategy meetings that I do with leaders is I explain to them how what you're actually dealing with is a department full of triggered seven-year-olds. And if you understand how that works, like I make them watch the primer for ACEs, which is that study that was done in the 90s, adverse childhood experiences, show them the stats and give them a little bit, a little brief trauma informed session, they look at everyone completely differently because it forces them to look at their own triggers. And they're like, oh, we're just a bunch of like triggered seven-year-olds running around, but now I have some tools 
on the parenting. And, and again, that's where some of the more feminine traits and leadership help. Yes. It, it, just, it just helps. Well, that's all the time we have for today, folks. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Donna. Thank you. Thank you for joining the Woman in Safety podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please connect with us to join our global WIS community to subscribe and listen to our show or find more great safety resources. Visit safepedia.com. Until next time, stay safe.